Welcome to series two of Book Wandering with me, Anna James, the podcast where I talk to another writer about their most beloved children's or YA book. I'm the author of the children's fantasy series Pages & Co and an arts journalist. Series two is going to be divided into two parts of six episodes and I'm delighted to have Max Porter with me for this first episode. I first met Max back when I was a librarian and I became gently obsessed with the luminaries by Eleanor Catton, which Max edited and Granter invited me to their Booker Prize party. I then got to interview Max for the bookseller about his debut novel Grief is the Thing with Feathers, which went on to win so many awards and was adapted into a play starring Killian Murphy. Max is also the author of Lanny, The Death of Francis Bacon and most recently Shy. Max's pick was the picture books of the late writer and illustrator John Burningham, who passed away in 2019. We were going to focus on Avocado Baby specifically, but our chat ended up much more broadly about Burningham's work and art. You can find the books discussed today on my page at bookshop.org, which supports the podcast and independent bookshops. If you use the code BOOKWANDERER, you'll get free shipping on the books featured on this series, including Max's Shy and Avocado Baby. And finally, before we get into the episode, just to quickly note that while the podcast is largely suitable for children, this isn't geared at younger listeners. Welcome, Max. Thank you so much for coming and being a guest on Book Wandering. I'm delighted to have you. Thanks for having me. Very nice to see you after all these years. Um, so you have chosen the works of John Burningham to talk about so um and we're going to use avocado baby kind of as a starting off point but we're going to talk about him generally so yeah i guess to start with could you just give me the kind of headline on why you went for him well because always in my life and increasingly in my life picture books are really central to to the things i love the relationship between words and image is to me a special kind of magic that I think is underappreciated, but also still seems to me the most radical use of the length of a book. Or um, it, it speaks to me of my fundamental inability to choose between words and images. And I want both. And I think um, nowhere in the kind of landscape of my childhood, and maybe even in kind of like children's books, is that relationship more surprising and wonderful and strange than in John Birmingham. And I've come to love him more and more. Like I always loved him as a kid. Avocado Baby is the same age as me. Uh, one year younger than me. It came out the year after I was born. Okay. And I I sort of think, you know, like I've got favourite children's books, but I think if I were to ever write anything as good as Avocado Baby, I could give up and retire. Okay. There's something so astonishing about its its brevity and its wit. Um, and it's also just a book I love to read my children. And so it's like a sort of story of my life in the way I've thought about literature and and storytelling and family life and wit and art, everything. And I also, in preparing this for you and going back through my, my almost complete library of John Burnian books, I have come to realise that actually perhaps it's not even so much what they are as children's books. I think he's probably one of my favourite artists. Uh, and maybe we could talk about why they might be the same thing or different things. But that that certainly come clear to me in the last few days. And look, I just think I love his images so, so much. Yeah, there's lots of stuff there that I want to come back to. But just to kind of lay the foundations fully. So it was as a child that you first encountered them. Do you have sort of specific memories of reading them as a child or is it more of a vague just remembrance of love yeah they were always around um our our, our big family favorites would have been um would you rather of course which is uh like a 
life-changing book for me. Uh, Avocado Baby, Mr. Gumpy's Outing, I think. And then I had a younger sister four years younger than me. Um, and I read to her. So those books came back out of the cupboard again. And then I had a, another brother uh, when I was 13 or 14. So they came back out of the cupboard again. And then obviously in time warp, time, like time scales wise, relatively soon after that, I was having my own children. Um, so they were never they were never out of the cupboard. And then when, when it came to putting our children's picture books in the attic recently, they didn't go in the attic because they're not the children's books, they're my books. <laughs> so um, they stayed out with, you know, with the Shirley Hughes and the Maurice Sendak and the, um, the special books. Yeah. Uh, and, they're, and they're for me. And I, I read them often. Like I, I There's also um, Jonathan Cape published a, a sort of, I don't know what you call it, catalogue raisin hay like a sort of book about John Birmingham for adults okay Um, okay. I've got it here and it's um it's really beautiful and it's about his commercial work and I've become really interested in the commercial work that artists do so people Ah, like Piper and Revilius and Borden and Mary Fedden and that kind of whole generation of British post-war artists I'm really interested like I love Revilius's porcelain I love Borden's work for the London Underground you know I love um, John Piper's stuff for Shell Oil with Betjeman after the war so I'm always interested in the relationship and and and, and then I through that I got really interested in in Birmingham's uh, as it were work to pay the bills right um, and how it relates to his children's work and how you can sort of suffuse the eccentricity and the magic of your work as a children's writer into work you do for other markets and other fields and, and I just want a bit more of that in our life yes. and also I think if we're going a bit, you know, psychotherapeutic. We can. <laughs> which I'm sure you don't mind. Yeah. We absolutely can. I think that I am have such a conflicted and upset relationship with England, uh, as, as you know, and as, as many of us do, that I cling to these things that seem to me deeply English in the best way, and by which I mean actually in John Birmingham's case, like the kind of arts post-war art school energy um very very european you know he's a huge lover of france drinking wine but also there's something so romantic about his relationship with helen oxenbury and like his children and it's sort of like it's hard to find people you love in the current landscape right where are our exemplars where are our where are the people we want to fling to with our arms open and and adore and be adored by and and so burning represents to me this kind of romantic modernist um scruffy empathetic warm grouchy funny um you know lunch in the garden um nothing to do with the sort of poisonously elite um kind of fake englishness that is now sort of rammed down our throats as a a kind of aesthetic It's, it's, it's it's a real scruffy gardener's allotment crappy parks crappy ponds england yeah uh that i love (laughs) yeah i love that it also, I mean, it, it's interesting. It makes me think, of course, of Lanny and mm. perhaps, uh, you know, this sort of, I don't know if you feel it's fair to say that that sort of Englishness feels very present in Lanny too and on maybe lots of your, lots of your work. Yeah, I think so, definitely. And, and it, that it's not an unpolluted one, you know, that, that, that it's not an ideal at all. It's, right. it's full of pesticides and, um, and every, everyone on the other side of the garden fence is racist and beastly, um, but that there is nevertheless um, something we really love here and that we celebrate. And it's, and it's connected for Birmingham, especially because, again, some of his commercial work, but for me as well in this sort of um, like ecstatic 
a small island celebration of the season of seasonal change like i love the change that occurs in autumn and i love the color you know so burningham as i think we should talk about burningham and light like light in children's books is such an interesting thing like times of day yeah and rooms and interiors you know like i love david mckee's interiors i love sendak's nighttime you know like yeah and the way that burningham is like to me he's like he's as good as turner you know his handling of light is so incredible but also it's so clarifying to me as someone that that feels that whatever's gone wrong in the world it's okay because it's still turning you know like we are still going to get those golden evenings in a, in, a, in a month or two's time we are still going to get that crispy frost you know and it's all there in his books in a sort of celebratory but but un unprocessed way and yeah yeah well there's lots there's lots so that's your answer there's lots in these books that I just deeply deeply adore I have to confess that prior to you choosing John Birmingham, I had only read one of his books. They weren't oh. books that were around when I was a child, as in they were, they, as in they just weren't, didn't end up in my house or library yeah, for whatever yeah. reason. Yeah. And I had only read The Way to the Zoo uh, because oh, yeah. I did an interview with him at the bookseller where I was facilitating an interview with him and another writer. Right. And he was. He was quite grumpy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Good. But very, Good. In, but very interesting. But yeah. so firstly, I, I really want to say thank you as much as anything because I I had only read that book and I was like, oh, you know what? I'm not sure it's really quite for me. And through you choosing <laughs> this, I have read more and yeah. I feel like I have, I like get, get it now. And okay, I had cool. a lovely time and I feel like maybe the way to the zoo, not that there's anything wrong with it, but perhaps is, um, is just not perhaps the one to most sum up uh, I don't know if any of them would like that's yeah. the thing they're so they're so odd yeah they're, they're so sort of <laughs> incomplete and, uh, and almost abrasive some of yes. them like they're quite horrible in places his books and not in a not in a darly way no one's been no one's victimized in John Burney's books but everyone is sort of a bit gross looking or or or, or, or like <laughs> capable of really like horrible behaviors and animals are always sort of outwitting humans or humans are always tricking them and and I love that so much because it's so true to like but it doesn't need it, there's no exploitative function in them like there's as, as like the comparison with someone like there's no one no one's being objectified or othered in it uh, no one's being laughed at. Everyone's just a bit mad. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, children and animals sort of become the same. And like the burglars have always got brilliantly weird faces. And, and like, yeah, yeah. There's a sort of, like that horrible children get their comeuppance, but also don't in a satisfying way. Like, yeah, because there's complex. also like threads of really, um, I don't think I'd, yeah, there's like real lovely stuff in there. Uh, mm -hmm. I really enjoyed um, Courtney, the one about the dog. Yeah. Who, and that's like really. I love like really lovely um yeah. oh it's incredibly lovely Courtney and Borker did you yeah. read Simp no I didn't Cannonball Simp is about an unattractive dog there's a lot of ugly dogs in his books. every all the animals are ugly or skinless or hairless or <laughs> lost or bruised or broken but uh, but they all they all have this this they find the humans that will love them and that and that is extremely important to me but in Simp, this dog runs away, no one loves him, no one will love him. And he arrives at a circus and the guy, the clown, who no one loves, because he's a, a shit clown, and um, and he's going to be fired. And the guy says, you've got one more opportunity, this is your last show. And Simp hears him and climbs into his cannon. And so when his cannon is fired, 
there's this spectacular moment where Cannonball Simp shoots off across the thing and it's the best thing in the show and they live happily ever after. And the thing about John Birmingham is that these, I was trying to count, do a word count on a few of them yesterday. They're, they're a couple of hundred words tops. The, 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 the economy in them is absolutely dazzling. Like what he's able to achieve in terms of quite complex sentiment, uh, not nothing, nothing black and white in moral terms always, yeah. but there's this sort of abrasive, you know, ugly dog. Goose with no feathers, <laughs> weird animal that plays the balalaika. You know, you, you yeah. just you just drop straight in in a, in a kind of like they are like they're like they're like sort of Kafkaesque. You know, they're like those kind of brilliant. I can't remember the guy's name who does those. He's Hungarian or maybe Czech, but they're like hundred word stories. You know, okay. they're just they're very um, abstract. Uh, they're they're like that. There's there's a sort of um, yeah. There's yeah, sort there's of not parabolesque. Yes. One I loved was what's it called? Uh, Don't go in the water, Shirley. Where <laughs> horrible parents. The whole actual like story. There's the horrible parents, and those are where all the words are. So if people have it, it's like it's the uh, two parents and their daughter go to the beach. Yeah. On one side of the page, there's the parents, the grumpy parents who aren't paying attention, saying things like, you know, make sure you drink your water. Don't go in the water. Put your sunscreen on. And then the other page, there's no dialogue at, or words at all. It's just pictures of Shirley having grand adventures with pirates, yeah, and just yeah. all the words are on the horrible parents' side. And it's just and so... that's deeply, deeply insightful, isn't it? Yeah, about it's... childhood. And I play. was blown away by how wonderful that yeah that was. Yeah, I think his his crediting of children with. Because it's not like, oh, you have a magic universe that you escape to and it's your dream world mm. and it's your imagination. Because we, the adults are complicit in it. It's that your grumpiness or misbehaviour or uh, spiky and unpleasant character, because children aren't good. <laughs> it's mm. wonderful. Yeah, right. We're all little shits. <laughs> and that, like, like you carry that with you into your play world. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like a sort of vengeance on the banality of the adult world in a really complicated way. And then when that translates in his later work, to, uh, in books like Cloud babies or mm -hmm. cloudland or whatever it's called in the magic bed they're like really metaphors for being alive actually mm -hmm. like for, for 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 slipping out of the out of the parents control out of the worldly framework of of like manners and education and raise you know rituals of, of of school and work into a place that is weirder and better and a bit like the dream world and that's that seems to me the older i get i realize that my childhood was like really formed like my idea of a scary place is the house in Would You Rather. Right. Would right. you rather spend a night in a... Shall I find it? Do you know what? I've got them written down because I thought we could uh, we could do some of them. Uh, oh, I'd then, love that. Yeah. Because my answers have actually changed significantly over the I've years. I've got them written down, so... Um, but that... Oh, where is Would You Rather? But that house... Because that's the one the that has, like... in the floor. It's got, like, monetary. That's the one where it's, like, would you rather do something for 25p, something else for 50p, yeah. or stay in a scary house for a pound. Yeah. Um, and I, me, me and my brother were always just like, absolutely, 100% staying in that house because 50 quid oh, is, an, um, yeah. is an enormous sum of money. And oh. we would just curl up on the floor and just get through it. Whereas my brother fell in some, because the jump in the nettles for a fiver, my brother had actually had a bit of an accident falling yeah. in some nettles once when oh. he was just in his pants. So he was like, no, for no a fiver, are you kidding me? No way. That's like 500 quid, mate. <laughs> Although, hang on, is that, um, when was that, have they done some inflation on the numbers there? Because I feel like, so I borrowed this from the library to read and weirdly it was an American edition 
Uh, but it was only, they were only in the American edition, only being offered Maybe like 25 are. cents. 50 cents and a dollar. <laughs> so I'm not sure if the British one has always just been more They're money. Probably or... just trying to disincentivize, yeah. uh, de incentivize American children from yeah. doing dangerous activities. Yeah, That's the thing, there is something quite wild about these. Like, oh, you yeah. wouldn't get away with it anymore, like swallowing a dead frog and stuff like that. <laughs> but also, what I, one of my favorite things about this book now, and when I was growing up, because my mum was really young when she had me and my stepdad was quite young, was the dad. When, when it's embarrassing, you know, would you oh, rather your yeah. dad did a dance at school? Look at this fella. Yeah. He's like, he looks like a little bit older than Michael Morpurgo now. <laughs> <laughs> He's a great, 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 great granddad. And I, and I just found that so funny and weird. And, yep. and we should talk maybe, let's do some would you rathers. But I, 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 I think there's something about how he, about the badly drawn. Mm. That as a child, I was like, don't you have to be... Good. <laughs> a proper, really good to be a good art. You know, it's basically my introduction to modernism. Yeah. yeah. You know, so late when, when you study Picasso at school and the teacher's trying to explain why, like, yes, he can draw a table, but he's choosing to draw a table without perspective. And everyone's like, well, it's better. I'm like, no, man, it's absolutely brilliant. It's better. It's better. Because yeah. I've yeah. been studying John Birmingham's, like, wonky surfaces and bad gingham mm -hmm. and, like, weird, like, he just stops colouring something in halfway through. Yeah. There's an amazing range of artistic techniques. Let's get into that. We can, the would you rather is we can, do you know what, actually, I'm tangenting because I was tempted to do this whole chat. Do you know when you spoke with Ali Smith at Cheltenham and you had her picking like quotes and thoughts out of yeah, the pot and reacting yeah. to them? I was tempted to do it like that just because it's my it's one of my favourite author events I've ever watched. Oh, uh, well, she was... cheated. Should we put that on the record of your podcast? Of course, it's Ali. Of that we were did. throwing <laughs> sugar cubes into flower pots, which is a game I love and I, I, I'm going to say I invented it. It's called Sugar Pot. <laughs> and, uh, TM. And uh, you throw sugar cubes into the pots and they make a really satisfying because of the terracotta pot. And I had said that we would go throughout and count, right? We would count who won at the end. And the, the, it's a serious idea based in play theory that actually you concentrate better when you're doing a hand-eye activity thing. And she just got up halfway through, didn't she? And poured her pot into my pot and my all, pot into her pot. Yeah, all of them. Yeah. She's bold. It Take was some joyful. legend status to behave like that. Yeah, you know. Ali actually can get away with it. It yeah. was joyful. Um, <laughs> so you want to talk about art we'll come back to the would you rather we can pop okay. those in wherever we want but I am interested well I'm interested in your relationship with it as well like in terms of you're obviously very well informed about such things and I'm interested in is that something you studied you got into you've always been oh, about drawn art, the to art. visual stuff just like how did you get interested in kind of the visual side of stories I would say that like through this kind of work right Really early on in my life, I would have looked at this because I like to draw and I would have been like, hang on a minute. You know, so, for example, um, Judith Carr, mm -hmm. like Mog. You look at Mog and you're like, that is an astonishingly rendered 3D kitchen with exquisite mid-century modern furniture and yeah, white yeah. clean plastic tablecloths. Same like David McKee's parents... I once said, uh, in the old days when I was fun on Twitter before Twitter broke broke me, <laughs> I did a thing once about um, uh, not now Bernard's Bernard's parents as interior, as like radical interior design <laughs> geniuses because they're like purple tiling with like a, a you know, a yellow cross-hatched linoleum pop, you know. Um, and so I would look very carefully in these sorts of books. Like, sim you know, similarly with people like... Um, 
well, way back actually to people like Edward Arditzoni and uh, and Shirley Hughes, uh, who I love, loved, love. Um, I would really be looking at the surfaces. Like, so for example, just this random page we've got open here of would you rather your dad did a dance at school or your mum had mm-hmm. a row in a cafe. <laughs> The, the the parquet floor in the school, the blushing of the... And I'd think, like, oh, he hasn't done that very well or or has the fact he's not done that very well actually made it really, really charming? And I start to ask myself, as a child, questions about... Char- and I think now, as a writer, like, what is left out? What is, uh, like, a knowing wink to a tradition that came before you? And what is, is style? Like, what is individual innovation in the context of excellence? Like... Because this is new, like this generation, people like Brian Wildsmith and John Burnham, like children's illustrations had to be illustrative. Right. They had to be an illustration of what was happening in the text and they had to be neat. And like like the Ladybird books, they had to be professional level realism, social realism. So to this guy to come along and do these like smudged, acid yeah. trip skyline with like a badly drawn swing set just stuck on, literally stuck on. You can see where he's cut it out. I was just like, this is... This is exciting, you know. Um, so yeah, and then I, and then I did go and, and study uh, art and studied art history for a right. degree. But one of the things I, as a writer and a, and as someone that draws and paints and stuff, is I've always had an incredible envy of people that can be free and loose. I can't. My stuff is really. I can't let go. I'm really. I'm like an anal. I draw a little back of my pen drawings you know I'm desperate like yesterday actually I tried to because I'm having a bit of a breakdown at the moment I've been burned out after various different things and I've just cancelled a project and I've got to start this huge new project and kids and a dog and people being ill and whatever you know I'm just a bit "Ah." so I thought come on like physician heal thyself you know so I just got out a huge piece of paper and started drawing bad drawings on it and sitting down thinking about John Burning with you I, I so envy the scrappiness and the and the play and the experiment that is legible on the surface, I think it's really, really radical and beautiful and, and, and also just so experimental. Like he is always, there's a bit of gouache, there's a bit of oil, there's some, something, there's some pencil stuck on yeah. and then there's just one that really does seem to be unfinished. Right. And then there's like really, really detailed stippling. So to me, they were just tremendously exciting to look at. Yeah. Um, and then the fact that you've got these really like sort of don't give a fuck <laughs> like ways of telling a story as well yeah it just seemed very like I can only liken it to sort of my fantastic godfather Tony who used to just sit in my garden and smoke roll-ups and make concrete tables and stuff and he never <laughs> he never sells his work he just gives it amazing like that he was an art teacher in a in a, in a poly and he just that kind of sense of making things because you were interested in the clack of a pastel on paper or you like nailing bits of wood together or you would say to the guy, can I have that out of your skip because it's beautiful. Someone else's rubbish being someone else's most beautiful thing, you know. So I think this, there's a case to be made for John Burnham being really central to the whole way I see this world and the yeah. things I love. You know, I collect dolls, house furniture and oh. Japanese toys and sticks and branches. and I'm similar in terms of I'm trying to... You know, this is the whole, I was about to say, I'm trying to teach myself to be more loose with writing and just Mm. creating, but Mm. teaching, even just the fact that I'm trying to teach myself to do it. But I am very, like, even with, so I play the piano and I can play the piano properly, Mm. Mm. but I cannot sit down at a piano and make myself just play because I am like, but I'm not, it's not 
good, it's not right. Whereas my partner, who's never had a piano lesson in his life, can't read music, but is very musical, can sit down yeah, yeah. and Just and play something jam beautiful. And I'm like, you can't. But I'm, and I'm yeah. like that with uh, everything. I, I'm yeah. learning book binding and I'm trying to make myself just it's like i'm never i'm not trying to be a professional bookbinder mm, mm, you mm. can just make something you think is lovely yeah but i'm struggling to get i'm still struggling to be in that uh, headspace well i'm very interested in this because you can't change who you are except that you can <laughs> slowly right but the type of maker you are the type of gesture you you instinctively and naturally leave on this world is so conditioned by the education you've had and, and who you right. are and the influence on you, right? So I do this. I look at someone like Howard Hodgkin and I'm like, I wish I could just paint like Howard Hodgkin. But I can't. I've tried. Like, I've got pieces of wood out of skips and I've got a big brush and loads of really bright oil paint and gone like, Bleh! like he does, you know, to make one of those smears of yeah. paint that he just looked, to, to me, is like God. Like, yeah. it's like heaven on earth is one of those smears of paint. And mine just looks shit. And the truth is, is that it's not that I can become Howard Hodgkin suddenly or copy Howard Hodgkin, but it's, it's in the asking who I am and what he achieves and whether I can learn from it. That is really healthy, I think. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a bit like sort of pushing against a tendency because like, I don't want to imitate the looseness of John Burningham's stuff. Like, in fact, if I were to do sit down and draw a lion as badly as John Burningham's drawn a lion, I'd chuck it in the bin. Because mm -hmm. I can't, it's not part of my total, it's not part of who I am. Like it, But but it's really interesting to try, mm -hmm. I think, sometimes. And especially when for, when we're doing a creative thing, it's, it's part of our ongoing commitment to being the best we can be at it, right? Is is to see, like, whether, like, to try and force yourself to be looser or to improvise or whatever. It's good, I think. Healthy. Yeah, I think so. And actually, I found reading all these John Burningham books in a row really helpful because when I first sat and sort of read them, I did find, I find his style of art, like, unsettling yeah. because of everything you're saying. Like, I have to resist my urge to, like, react against it because it is yeah. unfinished and inconsistent in how it's, done and wonky and like you say this bit's where you can just see how he's cut something out and it's just like yeah and it i have to resist but actually reading them all in one go is quite good because you sort of sink you sink into it and you start mm. to become at peace with it not being yeah like good is not the right word but as a catch-all for or not being what i my brain wants to interpret yeah you're trained to look for technical quality as as goodness mm -hmm. yeah and, and and it's an unlearning of that uh, what i find often is that my i have a kind of a child brained mentality even with even with with poetry actually or with with writing or even with music like listening to say like wild improvised uh, like ambient drone music I'm mm -hmm. like this isn't for anyone could do you know that voice in your head is like my kid could do this yeah. and then what I immediately leap to a point of it being an almost sacred like innovation and I'm like uh, uh, whether it's good or that that whole framework of good or bad totally disappears it's exquisite like it's so so beautiful like because my whole parameters for beauty have just been changed by the attention I've paid it and that's that's what I think I cherish in his work is like is in it, I can map my enjoyment of texture and light and play and scratch and mistake as well. Like some of the mistakes that are visible in his work, I think are really, really like they almost carry for me a sort of erotic charge. Like they're so um, they're so interesting in relation to the finished world or indeed now 
the digital world or, mm-hmm. or you know, the um, fit for purpose, manicured, AI, you know, generated world. Yeah. They have this unmistakably disrespectful, disobedient human quality to them. Also, you know, when you, you know, when you start a new term at school, sorry, this is just an aside. No. <laughs> uh, and you, you, I always always want my mum to buy me a new pencil case. And she's yes. like, no, you've got loads of, loads of pencil cases around. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I desperately want a new one and a good one that hasn't had like a leaked biro in it. And she would just never get it. And I just, you don't understand how important it is for me to have new shit at the beginning <laughs> of the year. <laughs> anyway, but you know, when you go through your pencil case, you're trying to do a picture and none of your pens quite work mm-hmm. and, and none of your pencils are sharp and you haven't got pencil sharpener. All John, all John Burnham's books are made with yeah. that pencil case. Yeah, that's like pens I love run that. out. I love and, like, that. And like, there's suddenly you, you think like, don't use a red, like don't use a red fine liner in the middle of a pencil drawing. <laughs> but he just does. It's just like does. he just grabbed shit, and that mm-hmm. seems to me not only a different different type of beauty, but also like colossally therapeutic mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. Um, affirming and encouraging you know <laughs> yeah I went to see uh Regina Spector at the South mm. Bank over the weekend and she oh, yeah. made loads of mistakes and oh, it was really I it was lovely and she actually said you know what I actually got my phone out and wrote this down illicitly as she said this because she said after she particularly bowled something up but she had to get the audience to like sing her song to make so she could remember what she was doing on the piano um yeah. to, to be fair to her I think she is that sort of person generally, but she had a serious back injury and she wasn't wanting to take any painkillers so she could like be in the moment, which I don't think was really helping. But she said, sometimes I think the point of my shows is to fuck everything up so that people think I can do that and go back to their lives and do everything they've ever wanted. Mm. And I thought that was a gorgeous thing to say. But we we have to have a kind of... uh... Well, particularly perhaps in a time of where we're all questioning what is a, what is uh, a valid human mistake to make and what is something that one should be responsible for. You know, we're all like, it's quite a charged atmosphere, isn't it? Yeah. The question of mistakes or right or wrong and behaviour, the public and private. And I, um, I really like mistakes and glitch and uh, the, the abandoned. I just binned a project that's I've probably worked on more than all my other projects oh my combined. I've worked on it for years and years and years. And first it was a novel, then I wrote it as a play, and I've just binned it this week, finally. Mm-hmm. Wow. And just like four or five full notebooks, hundreds of books of research, you know, it's just gone. And I feel terrific about it. Oh, really, amazing. really good about it. And I did this thing with, um, I've been working and will work again. We've got a project in the pipeline with uh, Feist, you know, Leslie Feist the singer Feist. Oh, yeah. Canadian yeah. singer. So we did a thing together in Toronto and we're doing a thing together in the autumn. I'm going to write a project together. But she had done a thing where she had stopped in the middle of one of her sets and wanted there to be a, 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 a stillness, a pause. And audiences felt it was a mistake. Uh, and she wanted that. She wanted to see what happens when everyone's like, has there been a power cut? Has the sound gone off? She loved, she was like the energy suddenly, because everything's polished, rehearsed, we're professionals, we do our songs, you expect to be moved, you expect to be excited, etc. And then there was just this like, and she loved it and she's like, but it needs something. So I wrote her a piece and she now, she just reads. So she stops, all the musicians stop, everything stops and she just reads. And you don't know whether it's a song lyric or a poem or is she actually confessing to you? And it creates an incredibly intimate, what Regina Spector's done is, is like, I'm talking to you now. Actually, I'm talking to you now. And I love that. And I want to achieve that in books. That's I think so that's, interesting. That's what hit the surface of a Birmingham book does for you. You're like... 
oh, this is a human being who's 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 asking me to pay attention to yeah. the joke he's telling or whatever. You know, it's not um, it's not in a safe space beyond, like in a, in a kind of enshrined author on pedestal book as impenetrable product, finished product. It's of my world. Yeah, which is which is error and risk. You know, I love that. Uh, people should not listen if they don't want spoilers for the end of the Pages and Co series. But the end of the Pages and Co series, I. What are you on now? Four, four six, five? six Oof. children's publishing schedules or something else. You've worked hard. I should yeah. have said at, at the off. Congratulations! Oh, that in, since we last saw each other, you've become a spectacularly successful children's writer. Oh, well, that's a nice way of saying that, but thank you. But I mean... it's good, good work. <laughs> Not everyone's done that. Do you know? I am feeling positive only because yesterday I was sent a picture by a parent of. And you know what? This is quite uh, burning in me. I'll see if I can show you and I'll, I'll share it on my socials. And actually, I'll share the images we've been talking on my Instagram. When the episode goes out, I'll put oh, cool. some images. Okay, yeah. But um, a parent sent me this picture that this kid, and it's just scrawled, I love you, Anna James. Oh, can you see that? That's so cool. <laughs> in this childlike handwriting, just, I love you, Anna James. Makes it all worth it, doesn't it? Truly, I just like, why would you not? Why would you not mm. write children's books when you have yeah, a child yeah, yeah. write, I love you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, 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 it's, yeah. It's made me feel, yes, it's, it was a good point for it to that, come. That, that up and down is is so sort of uh, irresistible and relentless. And, <laughs> yes. and, and like when you're in the, da you know, like I had this thing this spring where I, I needed to really remind myself why I was doing it, you know, like hatchet job in the times my whole life uh, just mocked and belittled and oh had God. piss ripped out of me and my work just you know made into a joke and I'm a hippie and I'm a loser but you know like in a like real like oh, no. overseas somewhere in a hotel where I'm having a little cry about just like, like they're right I'm an idiot blah, blah blah and then just some like like really quiet 70 year old Flemish woman going to the back of the queue in the back of the queue in the back of the queue to have a chat with me and I'm thinking has someone died usually it's someone's died mm -hmm. you know and she just came forward and just said, uh, you're my favourite. I think your books are absolutely magical. Oh. And I love you. And I was like, like the battery yeah. level just went. Because <laughs> if this oh, dude, sure. if this little dude <laughs> in her lovely dress and her lovely yeah. sandals thinks I'm all right and I've put something good into the world that's meant something to her and that she's even read it in a language I can't even read, yeah. then then I'm invincible. Like, I'm in I'm in love. I'm, you know, it's just flooded. And it, you've got to just ride those yeah, ups yeah. and downs, haven't you? Yeah. A, a really smart person I know, actually, and I'll share this with you and your listeners, <laughs> um, told me that you, you, you go mad when books come out in the same way as, you know, you go mad when you're doing any kind of stressful work project or whatever, or, or in a marriage or moving house, whatever it is. But what you've got to try and do is regard the person going mad from a slight distance with compassion. So it's not, you don't try and stop yourself going mad. You know you're going to. You know, you know moving house is a phenomenally stressful thing and you're going to lose your shit with your partner all the time and scream at your kids. But just regard that person doing that with as much compassion as you possibly can. And sure enough, that person will bend and flex a bit more helpfully. And I, and I did it a lot this year. I'd be like sitting in an airport being like, look at you with your sweaty palms because you can't <laughs> find your boarding pass and you're worried about your kid. You know, just it was easier to love mm -hmm. me and therefore better, easier to love other people. Yeah. Even the person who wrote that review. I can even extend a little bit of love towards her a little bit <laughs> yeah a little bit it is yeah. the, the peaks and troughs must be a lonely business being such an asshole. yeah <laughs> <laughs> it 
it's a funny one isn't it um yeah peaks and troughs but you yeah. get those ladies at the end of the queue or the scrolled letters from children just at mm. the right points often and it just saves you from that trough getting a little bit too deep i've had yeah. a, a gentle existential crisis finishing finishing pages and going on so to it's the next over thing. yeah the it's last over. one has just gone to print which is why that okay. note came at a good time oh, yeah. um and do but, you have a plan are you, are you do you know yes. what you're doing so are you under contract or are you free for a little i bit? am under contract um but because 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 we're trying to buy a house no that's not the only reason i want to <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I also, well... Because the summer wardrobe won't buy itself. <laughs> <laughs> but also what you were saying, it's interesting, the new, I'm writing another fantasy series. Um, mm. This one is like Second World. Um, it's kind of really rooted in my love uh, when I was a child of epic fantasy of like Tolkien oh, and cool. Earthsea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I wanted to do, my my pitch is Earthsea via Brambley Hedge. So I wanted to kind oh, of yeah. capture the kind of epic fantasy that I loved, but also put the kind of, flower fairies, brambly hedge, yeah, 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 yeah. cozy miniatures. So yeah. I'm trying to write that at the moment, hence the existential crisis. I read a really disturbing graphic novel that was a sort of epic fantasy and it was all set in and around a corpse in a wood. Oh. And, and you don't realise until, uh, gra gradually you realise that like what they're standing on is a bone and what they're standing in is, is a person's eye socket. It's fucking wow. out there. Yeah. Um, What's it called? Oh, yeah, yeah. I can't remember. I'll send you a picture Great. of it. Yeah, but I love that. That that's right. Big scale, small world. I love it. Yeah. Have you read Kate Rundle's new book yet? Yes, I have. Is it wonderful? It is. Of course, of course it is. Yeah. Yeah, of course it is. Um, yeah. I actually nearly didn't because of aforementioned existential crisis. Just because Pages is all I've ever. Well, I've written loads of stuff for fun, but Pages is yeah. like all I've written as a published person. Yeah. So yeah, I was yeah. a bit anxious. And and children's fiction, children's fantasy is in a very different place to when I first started. Mm writing it's very very busy and there's lots of amazing work but there's a lot of it in a way that yeah, it yeah, wasn't yeah. when I first started writing and you didn't want to give yourself the heebie-jeebies yeah and she's she's Kate and she's yeah. extraordinary and I really believe the best write, children's writer of my generation um mm. maybe best writer full stop um yeah she's pretty hard she's, to critique yes yeah. uh yeah. and is a very dear friend of mine uh, yeah. And so I was like, I'm not sure. But I was saying to this to her over drinks, I was just like, okay, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I can read it right at the moment. But she, do you know what? I can't even remember what she said, but she said something very wise and loving and kind. And I felt like I could read it. And then I did read yeah. it. And I was so glad that I did. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've read two books recently by friends of mine. And they're both astonishingly good. And I was thinking, I, you know, being in the moment of binning things and feeling like shit about myself. And um, it doesn't. It has the opposite mm, effect. It really it makes does. Makes you feel incredibly grateful to be surrounded by brilliant people, doesn't and, it? And just glad it gladdens the heart. I think when when we read good work by people we love. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it's interesting what you're saying right at the start actually about seasons. The magic system in the new series is all. It's like seas the seas the changing of the seasons is where the magic oh, comes from. Cool. So that was another cool. reason actually I really enjoyed going to the Birmingham books and like what well, you're yeah. saying about light and times of day and things continuing. Um, yeah. Have you read that book by Eleanor Parker about the medieval seasons? No. Really, they had a completely different conception, obviously, because the the worldview changes every second. I feel like I have it. I have a my behind my computer is my row of books about seasons, and I think that really rings about. It's fascinating. I mean, I'm so interested because one oh, of the yeah. books that... winters in the world. That's it. Yeah, I have it, but I haven't read it yet. 
fascinating book. Uh, another book that probably I'd say, you know, every every maybe eight or ten years, a book like shifts you on your axis. Mm-hmm. Did you read Greenery by Tim D? No. It's about spring, and it's about oh, how I spring really is. Really need to. Like spring as a force, basically spring as a thing that moves at walking pace across this planet and birds and but basically spring is always you know spring is happening in winter i you know, love winter that winter is not the dead season mm-hmm. it's the season when under the ground spring is doing its what so spring is all seasons basically like we are in the spring yeah. and i just thought it was um for an old you know pagan <laughs> it was just unbelievably clarifying and inspiring for me to I see the world in that love way. that i've been thinking lots about spring for many reasons both the new books but also pages ends with it again this is the bit this is gonna this is very spoilery for people who don't want spoilers spoiler alert spoiler alert um people do get well you know what if people have invested their time and money in six books i'm not going to be um any judgment about wanting to not know what happens at the end um so thank you if that's you but um it does there is some winter spring hades persephone stuff about stories never ending and the end of the book oh because this is why we got onto this isn't it um about talking to readers there's a it gets the end is me talking to the young people reading the book which I was glad that I was allowed to do because we got how did we even get onto this because I that's a nice thing like that that my son this morning it, it was reading to me uh he's been very taken by the Spiderwick Chronicles ah. because he's doing them at school he's yeah. in year three yeah uh my youngest and he said to me dad listen to this at the end of spiderwick chronicles there's a poem by holly black and tony de Tulletsi, whatever his name is uh and, and they mentioned themselves in it and i was like yeah man <laughs> welcome to this incredible world yeah. of play between who's talking and who's got it's the voice so and he just thought it was delightful yeah. absolutely delightful and part of the reason i wanted to do it is because when i was a child i remember having those visceral moments of delight when i encountered mm. that in books mm. and the, the wonderful thing about writing for children is the realization that you might be the first time a young reader encounters yeah, that yeah. and that delights me mm, um mm. again this is a huge spoiler for want of a better word but again and this is something i would never do in an adult book and if i read an adult book that did this i would roll my eyes spectacularly mm. but the lovely yeah the lovely thing is that i think this might be the first time some readers have encountered it. so at the end it has the end in the text and then we've crossed it out and in my handwriting it has the beginning which again oh. is a thing I would roll my eyes at in an adult book. but yeah. And I was like, oh, is it too cliche? But then I was just thinking, these readers might not have ever <laughs> yeah, yeah, encountered yeah. the idea that you can do that with a book. And mm. I want, I was like, you know what? I don't care if it is it, a bit of a cliche. Warms, because it's delightful. Heart. And it's, yeah. I used to love it. Um, so I'm going to yeah. do it. Um, and that made me think about in your Francis Bacon book, you are which is as far from a children's book as it's possible to move in this world yeah yeah. perhaps i wouldn't recommend it to any children flooded with a childish childish uh delight in the world perhaps yeah yes it's it's uh structurally perhaps not for children and also probably requires just a foundation (laughs) i think it's for adults either no one's quite established who that book's for poets the poets love it yeah francis bacon fans uh, yeah, maybe the ghost of bacon, maybe yeah. as well. He might like it. But poets come up to me at parties and say things like, "It's your first and only interesting book." And I'm like, "Oh, thank you so much." <laughs> <laughs> it's. Yeah. I guess it does require perhaps some foundational 
mm. knowledge yes, it does, yeah. of bacon, yes. which presumably most 12-year-olds don't have. Um, but no, you never true. know. They are out there. But you you are in it. Uh, I think that's how we all got onto it. How I even came around to this point mm. is um, our presence in our books. Um, and actually, are you the same with writing as we talked about just being loose and being particular and throwing things away? When you're writing fiction, is does this all still apply? Or do you find different ways of being and creating for the for like the novel format? Um, well, I suppose the, the Birmingham would have an answer here as well, which is that what looks, uh, I, I think, what might look wild uh, or loose or um, impressionistic on the page has been through 50, 60 years of, of training, you know, to, to get to that point. Uh, like there's an incredible exactitude. You can't fake this, you know. Uh, it's like a Joan Mitchell painting or... Uh, of Rothko or whatever, you, it, it, your child could not do that. It requires astonishing expertise and control and handle of the material. So in my work, I, I am uh, editing more than I ever did. Um, I'm trying to still fill the notebooks and have have the, you know, the, 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 the wildness and the dreams uh, and, and the kind of super rips between things and that kind of fragmentary collage energy but I'm working harder and harder at it. Mm -hmm. um, like Shy was written fast, really fast. Oh, it came okay. out in a storm, um, like a trance almost, but I edited it for months and uh, months okay. and months. Okay. Edited it, rebuilt it, re-edited it, rebuilt it, and then was edited very well, British and American edits, and then rebuilt it again. Like So in the end, like there wasn't a word, there wasn't a, there wasn't a syllable that wasn't where I wanted it to be. Um, so I suppose, um, and, and the result is a book that, that I hope reads as if it's just gone blah out of this kid's brain. Um, but yeah, I think um, we're all, at, you know, like there's certain things we are good at naturally. Um, and I, ha I I come from that edge of the the writerly spectrum. I, I, I like the musicals, the musicality is inherent for mm -hmm. me. It's there. I write in that way. Um, but I am less good at um, plot architecture, um, I, I need structural epiphanies before I can progress beyond like a, a wild panic. So, um, yeah, I'm work, like, I think you've got to carry on working as hard as you possibly can, haven't you? Getting better and challenging yourself. Yeah. yeah. And my next book will be really, really different, and it will be inspired by work I've been doing in other in other areas, so okay. theatre and with musicians and screenplays and stuff like that. And so I, I, I want to keep on. I want the novels to always just move with my life, like. Um, not write another one. Yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. I think. But anyway, we should talk about John Burnham. That's about me. <laughs> this is not about me. But kind of is about you as well. So but just uh, sorry to break that to you. Should we also talk about Mr. Gumpy? <laughs> Would it was you just like so fun to? getting them all. Well, it was just so fun getting them all off the shelf yeah. yesterday. And I really, I just, if your readers haven't read Mr. Gumpy's outing, you know, it is just one of the most delightful stories ever written. Um, and it's so charming. I think charm is such an important thing mm -hmm. in this in this world of snide, vicious, yes. you know, swiping. You know, like I was just looking at a fight between two people on on Twitter yesterday. In fact, I, I, we all would say, "Oh, it was my lowest day as a British citizen." Right? We all like we keep on having these terrible moments. But I thought I would never feel anger or sadder than when Suella Bradman had that press conference about. Rwanda, the Rwanda plan, and she said to the Telegraph, "It's my dream oh my goodness, to see yeah. people." Say, and I thought, right, this is a, this is the low, this is our lowest step. But I actually thought that when Rishi Sunak said 
quote tweeted the story about Farage's bank account and said, this is wrong. And then underneath, um, what's his chops knobhead who's bought Twitter? Elon Musk said, here, here. And I thought, if you are, if this is what you think is wrong, this is wrong, given the scale of the wrongness that you have both cultivated and profited from in your lifetime and that you are creating. I, I felt really bleak, really, really bleak and sad and upset about it. And I felt ultimately as well, the whole thing is so, is so fucking charmless and empty and uh, mean-spirited and small and unambitious as human beings. So when I spent yesterday sitting in the garden with a herbal tea and my dog by my side, reading John Birmingham. I was flooded again with this sort of, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's to do with liveliness somehow or, 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 or of charm. Of like, There's a kind of nimble, there's a sort of mischievousness, yeah. you know, that celebrates human beings in all their strangeness. You know, there's bullies and there's, there's robbers and there's, there's mean people and there's cruelty, but, but that we navigate it mm -hmm. using sound and colour and joke. You know, and I and I just felt it's the sort of antidote to the horrible flat um, tabloid meanness of, of of our lives now. Yeah, uh, like richly and and because of it, because of its ha it, like profoundly handmade work, and I think that's what I'm going for now. Mm -hmm. That's what I want to see. I want to see the handmade. I want to see like the rubbed down yeah. uh, and the drawn over and the started again. And I want to see mistakes um, and see where they've turned, where they they've like transitioned into ecstatic or or delightful you know mm. uh, yeah so I, I i really i'm grateful to you for asking me who i'd want to think about um it's been really really nice i have found just doing the podcast such a source of joy and wonder yeah. because of a just going back to or discovering a lot of the books. I love seeing what books people choose and either revisiting ones I already love or being introduced to new ones, but also just getting to talk to other writers about why those books. It's been such a lovely project. Yeah. Well, talking about things you love is oh, really yeah. good. I get a bit of flack sometimes for uh, giving blurbs. Right. You know, to, you know, oh, I went into Waterstones and every book said it was great by Max Paul. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm sorry... I'm literally working full time to read debut novels by people that need a break and say it's good, right? Yeah. But also, it's it, to say you love something, it's not a failure. It, it it it's it's a positive thing. Like so, to get together through the magic of Zoom. <laughs> Shh, people don't need to know we're doing it on Zoom. <laughs> oh, sorry, we're in oh, no. Anna's studio, <laughs> the luxury studio. These huge uh, sofas we're sprawled out on. <laughs> With gin and tonics. Yes, that's what everyone should be picturing. <laughs> yeah, um, but like to to because I think it's quite because you can just say I love this, or you can sit down like I did yesterday and think what is it? Why do I love this? And yesterday I went down this sort of rabbit hole. Have you ever heard of someone called Philippa Throffel? No. So have a little look at mm -hmm. Philippa Throffel. <laughs> Shall I take? Can I carry my computer screen to show you something? Yeah. Because sure. if, if there's anyone in this world that will love this. I'm not sure how good podcast content this will make, but... Well, we can describe it. So, okay. listeners, I'm just leaving my kitchen and walking into my hallway past <laughs> my Pez collection. Oh, wow. That is quite a Pez collection. Thanks. I feel like that's going to be the thing. If you're listening to this, it's going to seem like we've agreed on a joke that Max has a giant Pez collection, but he really does have a giant Pez collection. Can you see it? Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's um, it's... 
Jack and Jill, Little Bo Peep, The Three Bears, Hey Diddle Diddle. It's all the old fairy tales and rhymes. It's called Wonderland. And they're in this huge universe. Wow. I mean, it looks, it's isn't it stunning? Yeah, that is And it's, it's that kind of very burning, actually, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So it's got that kind of naivety. It's almost like folk art, but it's also beautifully, beautifully done. Anyway, she is, there's a little shop near me that sells tiles. Uh-huh. And I went in and he was talking about how he, he's taken it over from his parents. They make these lovely little tiles. Yeah. And he said, yeah, my, you know, my mum got very into doing tiles for libraries and schools. And then she did this freeze. And this this huge painted poster was printed in 1965 and given to all libraries and schools. Oh. And I really recognised it. And I couldn't think why. And it was obviously my mum said, oh, yeah, it's probably in your play school. Oh, and it's such a glorious thing, the, the idea that this this fairy tale world painted with that in beautiful, mm-hmm. uh, it looks to be, you know, it reminds me of sort of, uh, well, like Peter Lanyon and, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's got that kind of St. Ives school energy around it. And anyway, so so I had bought it and then someone else and I said, oh, I remember that from my show. And then I was reading about John Burning and he did these freezes. Or uh, one called Lion Land, one called Wonderland, one called Journeyland, or whatever. And they were in, they were made for schools. Mm. And Jonathan Cape had this program of commissioning people to do these freezes. And I'm doing a lot with schools and dementia projects and stuff at the moment. And I think this is this is so good. Like we have to connect the work of illustrators and the work of writers and the adult book world and the junior book world. Like you know, my big obsession, of course, is literacy yep. and literature and why the gap. Why is there a gap between those things? Like, yeah. Who are we making these books for if we've got literacy rates plummeting? Like round here, you know, libraries all closed, lowest literature rates in the country. But it's okay. We've got you know Simon Seabag Montefiore coming to the festival. It's like that means nothing if you haven't got the kids reading. Yep. So there was a sort of there's almost like being a being like Helen Oxenbury and John Burningham, like. The, um, the thousands, hundreds and thousands of children yeah. who have looked at their hands and their bodies and their parents and their pets mm-hmm. and the sky because of the way these books have taught them to see the world. I love that. I, I, I love it. I love that visceral memory as well. You know, um, Jesse uh, Burton did The Restless mm. Girls with uh, yeah, the retelling yeah. of The Twelve Dancing Princesses. And when I got sent a yeah. proof of that, so it was illustrated by Angela Barrett, the name who I didn't, make this connection uh and the proof had these drawings of the shoes on them and i had like this really visceral reaction to it i sent a picture to my little sister and i was like Mm. i just feel like this is we used to stare at pictures it's like all these shoes and we'd be like which shoes do you want it like brought me back deep memory isn't it deep memory and i just thought it was like the style of it and then i realized later when i was doing an event with angela and jesse at woodstones that Angela illustrated one of my most beloved books. It was stories from the ballet that my granddad bought me before right, we went right. to see um, uh, The Nutcracker so I could understand the story yeah, yeah, as a yeah. child. And I was obsessed with that book. I read yeah. it, was it like cover to cover. Books, it? No, it was one of the, I think it was like um, Random House uh, had oh, a, like, yeah. it's, you know, they did like myths and legends. It was yeah. one of those. But it's how I encountered like Romeo and Juliet for the first time. There's a little abbreviated mm. Romeo and Juliet mm. and I used to read mm. it over and over again because it would make me cry Mm -hmm. and I used to do it to like provoke catharsis I didn't realize I was doing that but (laughs) I used to do it because I knew it would make me cry but Angela illustrated that and I hadn't joined the dots and I was like this is why I had like I felt like a child and I needed to show it to my sister and I didn't really understand 
why? And then I realized yeah. because Angela illustrated. So she was very... I a few yeah. of them and I, and, I, and I found a few. Like there's this one little kid and I found, I was like ringing my brother and my mum's like, wait, and we were all like, yes, that book. I and mean, it was just some weird book someone brought mm -hmm. us back from Sweden. Mm -hmm. We didn't even have it in English. And so it's really satisfying when you find them. But there's one I've got, which is so, so painful because I can't, I can't find what it is. Ah. Oh. It was some picture book and it was about like horrible things, like kind of would you rather vibe. It was like eat spiders on mash. And there was a picture of these spiders like cracked into a thing of mash. And I cannot find it. And it nags at me. I have one book like that. We had this like anthology of, of little tiny illustrated stories. All of them, I think, must have been written by different people. They were really like some of them were like cartoon style. Some of them were mm. like all different styles. And I think probably it doesn't exist. I think it was probably some sort of crappy anthology of like, mm. as in, but there was a couple of stories that I, the, it's the pictures I can mm. bring to mind. Mm. And I have spent so long trying to work out what that book is. Uh. I hope that... One day I'll discover it in my parents' loft or something and it'll still exist. But my parents aren't sentimental types, so I doubt they'll have, <laughs> oh, doubt they'll been, have kept it. It's been long been, yeah. But the, the way that we store images in our heads is is mad. Mm. Like, like I, I have this, this I've droned on about this often in my life, so make, apologies if you've heard me drone on about this before, but I'm really interested in buried treasure. Mm. So, like, I don't know, I wrote a piece once about not knowing my dad's voice right because someone who i'd only seen on the day my dad died rang me and i recognized instantly his voice ah. without telling me who it was so i would know my dad's voice right but i can't check that because we've got no audio recording on right it. but it's in there mm -hmm. like buried treasure and so until i see another illustration by this person i won't know how many of those illustrations are stacked stacked up back there. yeah you know i had it recently even like um the old robin hood stories i used to read mm -hmm. in some kind of crappy like puffin paperback. Yeah. I saw an illustration and I was like, Shoo! like yeah. five years old, my granddad's reading yeah. to me. <laughs> like it's Christmas holidays. It's like instant. In, it's quite something. We're just, isn't we are, it? we are like, it's like the mycelium. Like we have this enormous network of words mm -hmm. and images in our brains, mm -hmm. just lying dormant, ready to be flared awake again. Mm. Like yesterday, honestly, I was quite emotional doing my, doing my burning and deep dive yesterday because they are, I am waking up myself at various different points in my life like I'm doing a kind of personal time travel and that is a really amazing thing that's why rereading is such a special thing I think because I'm meeting myself as a child you know it's a wonderful thing to be able to do um that's actually probably a really good place to wrap up although would you like oh, to you do say that yeah would yeah, you like to do me. some hit would me. you rathers yeah okay yeah. great okay okay so would you rather <laughs> be covered in jam Soaked with water or pulled through the mud by a dog? Because well, I always really liked the, the image of uh, I'd like to be pulled through the mud yeah. by a dog, please. Yeah. Because yeah. we used to we used to wonder about um, whether you'd get cut, like if they were shut and, and then and then my brother's like, no, just imagine it's like totally safe. Yeah. Mud run, clean mud. And I'm like, yeah, that one. That yeah, one, yeah, that yeah. One. But that's why it's so such a genius book, isn't it? The the would you rather's are so like child brain. And yeah. they give you so much scope for those. You invent these scenarios with your siblings. They're so yeah. clever. The well, way what I love is that them. you can read it. Like my youngest son, who obviously is the last person I read these with, mm. is like, just cannot choose. And I'm like, that's the point you have to choose. <laughs> He's like, but it, it would be, I don't want to, you know, so I don't want to get wet. But I'm like, listen, we've been on this page for 25 <laughs> minutes. 
the whole point of this is that none of these things are going to happen, but you've got to choose one because I can't turn the page until you do. Yeah. Whereas my like my middle son, who's very matter of fact, like gets his own clothes out the night before school, like no stress. <laughs> He's like water, yeah. horrible house, dad dancing in school. Great, good night. <laughs> you know what? Like... <laughs> it says a lot about us, doesn't it? How we approach. Yeah. Would you rather? Queries. I did a whole um, pamphlet of Would You Rather's with Bonnie Prince Billy. Oh. Available to buy through uh, Rough Trade Books if anyone's interested. Gorgeous. But he's um, he's really interesting about like some, he came, he pushed back against some of the Would You Rather's. Oh. Like one of them was about cancelling and cancellation and like Michael Jackson and stuff. And he was like, stupid question. And I was like, <laughs> uh, you can't, I mean, you just have to answer. Like I can't, I don't have the right of reply as the Would You Rather. Yeah. Anyway, go on, one more. I'm ready. Okay, how about... Okay, this is such a long list, but I need to know the answer. Would you rather know a monkey you could tickle, a bear you could read to, a cat you could box with, a dog you could skate with, a pig you could ride, or a goat you could dance with? I'm just going to go to the page. Yes, because it's the quite near the end, are, that one, isn't sure, it? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I, well, I did always like the boxing cat. <laughs> um, I really didn't like the giant um, koala bear. Oh, okay. Like the scale, you know, the, you know, John Burnham changes scale the whole time. Yeah. In fact, we've hardly talked about Avocado Baby. Oh, yeah. An omission because it's literally <laughs> the greatest book ever written. One of my favourite things about it is the baby, this this strong baby. Yeah. Um, you know, chucks burglars uh, into uh, bullies into the pond and gets rid of burglars and blah blah. blah. And then at the end, there's a picture of the baby on the table, <laughs> just like the whole the whole table with the car keys and everything, yeah. and it's like the size of a box of matches. And I used to love that. Yeah. And, like he can do anything. Um, but but I would have always probably gone with the the goat to dance with because it's just so 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 delightful. Yeah. Okay. Dancing goat. Let's let's finish with well no I was going to do the lost one but that's quite a melancholy place to finish isn't it um, Life is a bit melancholy I know I don't mind finishing Okay well would you rather be lost These books these are books full of fog and they light are. and you know like the, the opening of Avocado Baby just the Jimmy in one more time you know the Hargreaves family are weak yeah. people I love that yeah. Like I knew I knew I've always felt a bit weak myself but like there were, I knew a family of like they were just a bit pale and sad mm. and their shoes never really fitted and they were always sort of falling over and they always missed the they always missed the ferry for holiday and stuff like that like i absolutely loved them they're mm. brilliant whenever i went around there for tea she would just burn it like, sorry i burnt the potatoes sorry i burnt the banger like she just burned all the food uh. the whole time <laughs> i loved them they're a hilarious bunch you and everything in their house was kind of held together with sellotape but they're a bit like the hargreaves yeah. and they don't often get to appear in children's yeah. books well you, you know? wouldn't i don't think uh i don't think you'd get a picture book now would you opening with this family is a weak family. I <laughs> know. <laughs> They're very unfashionable books now. And, yeah. and that's glorious. Long may they long may they remain uncancellable because they're so, mm-hmm. so, so, so good. Because they're not, yes, I said we said at the beginning, they're not unkind. Anyway, go on. Okay. Final one, I'm ready. Would you be would you rather be lost in a fog at sea, in a desert, in a forest, or in a crowd? Oh God, I hate that picture of the crowd. Yeah. Because uh, actually, rationally, your brain is like a crowd, but but then you see the picture and you're taken back to being a child lost in a crowd where you can't find your parents and it is the worst thing in the world. Well, at this exact age, when I was reading these books, I held the wrong person's hand no. in a crowd. And the woman went, uh, excuse me, and, and, and I just looked up and it wasn't mum. And she went, I'm not your mum. And I was like... <laughs> Um, well, despite the fact that it's a chilling image, I don't even need to go to this page to remember how chilling the forest looks, but I would choose forest yeah. because, you know, it's, it's my dark place, my happy place, my sad place. I, I want the full risk. Yeah. 
Yeah. I wouldn't have given you that answer, you see? I've changed. Yeah. I've grown up. I'm ready. I'm ready for more danger. Yeah. <laughs> um, right, to actually finish, I'd love to just kind of have a bash at us wrapping it all up. Um, mm. Because I know you obviously read children's books and you read not just children's books, so you read across form and you talked about trying like that why we have that gap between children's literature and other literature and like you know what I don't even know how this isn't even a question it's just me mm. being like yes you know I, I'm going off on another tangent but I went to review a play at the Unicorn Theatre um The Invisible Man mm. which is a Dutch company and after press night they had a little interview with the director and some of the actors and he was saying that in the Netherlands there isn't like writers directors actors work across there's not that division. They work across mm. children's and adult theatre. And coming to the UK, obviously some people do, but he was quite struck by how they are very separate worlds and people yes. work in one or the other. And you could see that in the it's one of the best plays I've seen all year. Yeah, it yeah. was magical. And it just had that like absolute respect for children's mm. intelligence and imagination. Mm. And I'd, I, I'd go further than respect. I'd go envy. Mm. I, like, yeah. I, I, I deeply, deeply wish that I still had mm -hmm. the capabilities that the children have, the, the sharpness, the, the rigour, the, the, the ability to differentiate between moral uh, nuances, all of it, you know, and children's books are obviously, as, as many people more intelligent than me have said, like, to choose not to read children's books would be to deny yourself probably the most exciting, progressive, radical, innovative area of creativity anywhere on the planet. Like in, in like madness. I, I had a, I was friends with a novelist years ago who scoffed at me buying a children's book or, or, or reading a children's book once, and said, "But they're for children, and you're a grown up, so it's weird." And I was just like, "I'm chilled to the bone by that supposition, really. By by a that economic like de de like economically determined differentiation between work for young people is just weird, but also the idea that I would be not allowed as an adult, I would be trapped in this world of." mortgages and uh, you know and 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 bullshit conversations at the school gate and the class system and white supreme and all the all the stuff that's happening in the adult world and not no longer allowed back to that place where we told those stories and had those insights and had that freedom like what a terrifying thing um yeah but uh, but to speak in praise of picture books particularly like now people like that lovely man james mayhew who who does like celebrate a uh, 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 picture book artist it, it in this country but also elsewhere you know in, in, in France like Australian picture books are really really extraordinary Japanese picture books obviously like there's it, it, I think uh, the global community of picture book illustrators and writers and that format the way that that format of a few words and a few and an image on every page for whatever it is 16 24 pages has has given rise to some of the most un unbelievable permanent innovations to the human spirit you know if you if you think about the kind of doggers and where the wild things are of you know and poo bum uh, you know these are like colossal um uh what you, interventions in the life of in the life of children and adults all around the world and that you get to read them with young people at bedtime before young people go to dream is it is magnificent. It's one of the best things that's ever happened to humans. You know what I mean? Like, like you, you can track the ways we've gone wrong in this world, you know, <laughs> war and inequality, et cetera, et cetera. And you can track some of the ways we've been really, really smart. 
And I just think there's something really, really special and smart about illustrated books. And I want them in my coffin with me. Do you know what I mean? Like, I want to cling to this strange, immediate, quick, deep way of thinking about images and stories. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. This has been Thank you. an absolute joy. Thanks, Anna. Thanks so much for listening to Book Wandering. A reminder that you can buy Avocado Baby and Shy with free shipping via bookshop.org using the code BOOKWANDERER and support independent bookshops. If you enjoyed this episode, then spreading the word would be greatly appreciated by sharing it online, telling your friends or leaving a review. You can find me at A Case of Books on social media or you can email me at annajamesauthor at gmail.com. The podcast is produced by Adam Collier with artwork by Hester Kitchen. And next week, I'll be chatting to Angie Thomas about Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry. So do come back next Sunday and listen. And until then, happy book wandering. <laughs>